Welcome back to Nostalgia, your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture. My name is Patrick Sheehan. I am here with Dave Martinson. Dave, happy Valentine's Day, man. Happy Valentine's Day, Pat. I'm happy I could spend this wonderful evening with you. I know. I'm, I'm with you, someone who I always know is in it for the right reasons. Why don't we jump right in? Because we have a pretty packed show today. I say this almost every time, but today is actually really packed. Start with Bachelor. So we haven't updated on Bachelor a lot. It's been a minute. Yeah. We even talked about it since, what, the first week? Yeah, I think the first week. It's been an up and down season for me. It's such a unique season because Nick is a unique Bachelor. He's so woke as a Bachelor. Yeah. He knows all the inside baseball having been on the show. Mm-hmm in some capacity, three times already, and getting far in all those shows. I wouldn't say he's, like, the golden child for the franchise, but they trot him out. His minutes are up. Which is so funny, because I feel like most fans have been pretty negative about him up until, basically, Paradise. Last year, yeah. Yeah. His last appearance. And then, this week kind of turned me on him again. Like, I was like, oh, he's all right. Throughout the season for The Bachelor, I was like, yeah, you know, he's just kind of a, like, he's an awkward dude, which, actually, it's kind of endearing. He doesn't... Come off as, like, a super douche as much as he's just kind of, like, a dork. I mean, he's a dork, but then he uses it as a reason to kick girls off the show. He's like, "Uh, I couldn't have a conversation with Danielle M. It's like, okay, I was going to ask you that, yeah. How do you feel about the way he broke up with, what, six women? The rose ceremony? Like, I know this is 2017 tradition. You know, we've we've been breaking rules everywhere in culture, but the rose ceremony was a respected institution, and... Nick's just been canceling them or just ignoring them. It feels more real, for sure. Right, he's that's actually why I like respecting it. it. I just think the reasons he's picked out, he said, oh, I can't hold a conversation <laughs> with Daniel M. Their conversation, he said, oh, so we're going to hometowns. Do you think you'll uh, think you'll bring me to your hometown if you go? She said, uh, yeah, we'll probably go to no, my no, no, there's family's no, no, she sucks. cabin in the woods. She sucks. No, she's all right. No, no. She, she had, she's so, she she's really nice. She had none She's stuff. really nice. Oh, she's so sweet. Oh, I'm so sad for Danielle. That's all I heard about her. I only know one thing about her is that she's sweet. Her line when, when he goes, I think you're great. And like she goes, that. not great enough. Yeah. I was like, oh, Exactly. Shit. You're fucking lame. Dagger. I'm glad you realized. <laughs> also, he broke up with her. I know they probably edited this, but pretty much right after she was like, yeah, the last guy I brought home was my dead fiance. Mm. And he's like, oh, well, sorry. Nice editing. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. But he also dumped Liz, Dominique, Jasmine on group dates. And then Danielle L, after she wins the two-on-one. Deuces to all of them. Savage, dude. Yeah, Danielle L was probably the most surprising. Because, you know, she won it and then... Wasn't surprised. I knew her time was coming. I guess the timing. I thought she would make it farther than Corinne. Because I feel like they kind of have the same game. They're both just really hot. Although Corinne's more interesting. She was the next most physical relationship oh, yeah. he had so i guess that would make sense i mean they basically were like grinding and making out on stage at that's, all, Boy that's all she did in the show though so. hey if you got it flaunt it i mean yeah. it's part of how you win the game compete so we're we're down to five now what did you think of him letting go of christina like last second last well time? i had a rooting interest in her because she was in my final four picks but yeah i watched an episode i was like corinne's all sad and stuff oh Corinne's not going to go home this way. This is bullshit. Like, I knew mm-hmm. Christina was gone as soon as that started happening. Yep. And, I mean, I, I guess I get it. You've seen more more of Corinne. You've seen more of their interactions. So I guess it makes sense. But that's kind of Corinne's effect on the whole season is she's taking so much away. Like, the first, what, four weeks, you didn't really know about anybody except for, what, Rachel and Vanessa? Because the only ones who even got a little screen time was all about Corinne's antics. And if someone like Taylor actually, you know, went at Corinne, mm-hmm. that got them screen time, but it's interesting that Christina got this far, because she never really had that many moments. Yeah, Christina, I think, 
she came on strong really late. Yeah. I think she stayed on because Which is she was always so a problem. attractive. I think she actually played her card a little too early. And I want to give a shout out to Raven. Because if you have to look at one girl who has played this whole season perfectly, it's her. Yeah. She kind of laid low for Props. the first couple weeks. Props. Like, Didn't see you that know, made, made some quick connections and then slowly started to ramp up. And then this week... Her southern drawl is just so innocent, man. It is. Whenever she talks, I'm just like, yeah. But, but yeah. she also comes across <laughs> as so badass. Like, yeah. she said she'd punch a shark in the face. She said that she beat the shit out of her ex when she found him... Balls deep. Yeah, balls deep inside another girl with a stiletto. And then this week, her last time really talking with Nick before the rose ceremony, she goes, oh yeah, my dad has cancer, and it's really serious. And she, like, played her last card to get to the hometowns. Even though that's, like, a really shitty way to look at it, it's part of the game. Like, having those sob stories and having that thing that can connect you and Chris, emotionally. And Rick, because Christina had a, but a quote, a great early. sob story, but it was last week. Also, her sob story is, like, a real sob story. Yeah, that's like, some real shit. I mean, it was almost too real for The Bachelor. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why Nick didn't know what to say. He's just like, he's got to let her talk. Yeah. Exactly. Let it out. Well, I mean, he never knows what to say anyway. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, would you expect, would you actually expect him to say anything there? Wow, that's interesting. Wow, tell me more. Yeah. Wow. Sorry. Okay. Th- thanks, Nick. <laughs> so but, no, the best thing, sidebar, the best thing when Corinne makes advances on him, he's just like, "All right, uh, <laughs> how are you?" <laughs> I was just having a nightcap. Nightcap. <laughs> uh, would you like a drink? I was like, "You are the most awkward bachelor ever." Why don't we move on to some other bachelor news though? Some actually yes. some bachelorette news. Fire news. Yeah, Dave's final rose pick. And my first impression rose pick. Picked this shit from the start. Rachel Lindsay. Yeah. She got named as a bachelorette for next season. It's an interesting move for two reasons. One, she's not off the show yet. Right. So... Similar to Nick and Paradise last summer. You know that she doesn't end up with Nick. It doesn't mean that she doesn't get the final rose, but they don't end yeah. up together. I mean, yeah, I like, I like to assume that Rachel can still go all the way, but it's probably Vanessa now. Sad. It might be. It could really be Raven. Actually, yeah, no. I'm actually kind of rooting for Raven. Yeah, I hope she wins it this Because, you know, Vanessa's like like rooting for Duke. Kind of to do that. <laughs> also, apparently, she, she's trying to be an actress now that she's been on the show. Which Vanessa? Is like, yeah. Like, I thought you were a teacher. I thought you were a exactly, public servant. Exactly. If the whole reason you made this, like, people liked you this much on the show is because you're genuine. a good, genuine person, yeah. and then you use the stardom to... I mean, I can't really Lame. blame the hustle, but it's like, okay, you're not really as real mm. as we all think. Hashtag selling out. But the second reason this is big, and this is probably the more important reason, it's the first Bachelor or Bachelorette to be black. Right, well, Rachel has gone the farthest of any contestant mm-hmm. on the show already, and I know on JoJo's season there was the most, you know, non-wake contestant so far, I think it was like six. She whittled it down pretty quickly. Though. But right, yeah, they never really get any far. No. And this season, I mean, even Jasmine got farther, pretty far as well. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think that's great. It's about time, obviously. And I think yeah. people kind of saw this coming because... Rachel was such a strong personality. She seems like a real smart person. She's a good speaker, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she's a, a lawyer, so she, I think she's a very likable person. So, yeah, sounds she, cool. She's smart. She's attractive. She has a good head on her shoulders. She's also kind of like the most, we've been saying the most real, but the date she had with Nick where they kind of sat at a bar and talked yeah. is probably like the most real date that's ever been but yeah, on the show. That's my thing. Like, you listen to the conversations she has with Nick, Mm-hmm. She gets a lot out of Nick, and then you listen to conversations that either Danielle has with Nick, and it's like, there's no comparison. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll go to my parents' cabin. Okay. But even when they talked on their <laughs> other date. I know. They just suck. So good for Rachel. I know that this might be a controversial thing to say, but The Bachelor is pretty much only good for Twitter. Following Twitter... It's while got that emoji the on the hashtag. Yeah, is 
one of my favorite parts of watching the show. Yeah, if you, if you tweet really basic observations, they usually get a lot of Twitter traction. I got a pretty good one last you night. Did. A very basic observation. Yeah, that's how it works. A lot of Twitter traction. I said a lot about who watches the show, but <laughs> I digress. But a bunch of basics. But I'm hoping this will pull Black Twitter into yes Bachelor or Bachelorette because it will be it will be a lot more fun and be very Black Twitter is lit. Like when Empire's on, it's so much better than White Twitter. I mean, yeah. I, Wait, well, White Twitter is just Twitter. True. Yeah. <laughs> There's no white history, it's just history. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great point. That will hopefully elevate the viewing experience to another yeah, level. Definitely. Especially if you can get them into paradise. I mean, the memes and gifts that will come out of that will be unbelievable. So, good for The Bachelor, finally getting on, yeah. on board with... Congrats, ABC, about time. So why don't we talk about uh, Lupe Fiasco next? Yeah. Because I want to touch on the Grammys, but I feel like it's important we get through other music things first. I have a lot to say on the Grammys. Sure. Yeah, same. So Lupe dropped a new album last Friday called Drogas Light. It's first album in a little over two years. Drogas Light? Yep. Drogas. Okay. Capital capital Drogas. Hmm. It's a white album cover, all white with a red Asian letter. Don't know what it means. Might mean light. Didn't look into it. Uh, <laughs> okay but yeah so lupe as we all know very influential chicago rapper you know really paved the way for that scene along with kanye and common before them and food and liquor his first album you know it's a classic that's a, one of the best rap albums of all time the cool is also really good but since then you know he's been up and down lasers in 2011 hmm. total garbage <laughs> really bad hmm. you know you might know the show goes on yeah uh, that's where that's from since then, he actually, his last album, Tetsuo in Youth, from January 2015, really strong, actually. Like that a lot, lead single Deliver. So this one, Drogas Light, it's not as good as Tetsuo in Youth, but it's also not as bad as Lasers. So I know that's not the most ringing endorsement. Mediocre. Yeah, it's totally fine. It's not terrible. It's not great. It has actually a really strong start, I will say. Mm-hmm. Dopamine Lit, the intro track, the lead single Jump, which I really, really like. And promise. Those songs are all really strong. Then as it goes on, it's about an hour long, gets a little inconsistent, he gets a little uh, personal, and the problems come out that he had on other records where he just gets out of what he's actually good at and tries to do more crossover stuff and just doesn't really go over well. I give him credit for this because this is kind of like Cuddy's last album where it's not a great record, but it's more to what he was best at. Okay. So like trying to get back to his strengths, which I give him credit for. So I think one of my, my criticisms of rock music recently, especially some of the bands we've reviewed, is that they mm-hmm. don't take enough risks. Yeah. And it sounds like Lupe almost went in the exact opposite direction. His risks were too out there, and he needs to come back and find himself a little more. Well, the thing with when he took risks, he just exposed new weaknesses. <laughs> okay, gotcha. So find balance there. Like Cuddy. When Cuddy takes risks, he makes unlistenable rock records. <laughs> so something to be said about risk-taking, but mm-hmm. nonetheless... <laughs> yeah, so if you want to listen to a few things, God, these the, basics are fucking humming. <laughs> Jesus Christ! The jump, the jump single is the best song. Listen to that. Okay, I looked at the track list really quick. Is there a lot of features on this? Not a lot. Ty Dolla Sign has got two. Okay. That's like one you'd hear of. Oh, and then uh, there's a song that's not that good with a uh, Big Crit. It's really Big good. Crit. I haven't heard of anything from him in a minute. I feel like. Yeah, he's still underground. Doing his thing. He's a good rapper, but he doesn't really fit this song. It's not a good B for him. Hmm. All right, well, Lupe Fiasco, Lukewarm. So, you know, if you got nothing else to listen to, it's fine. Uh, I, I do say Jump is a good song. Listen to Jump. Why don't we move on to the Grammys? We've spoken briefly about the Grammys in the past. We've spoken about how we didn't do a preview for them the last two years because they're not the most influential awards. It's interesting. Or important awards. Because I was really thinking about this when I was driving to work today. The Grammys, they have moments 
that I think are more memorable than other award shows, but in terms of history of culture and, and art, I feel like they have the least significance and kind of encapsulate yeah. what's actually happening in that, that sphere, least out of all the award shows. Oh, absolutely, because the best moments of the Grammys are, you know, speech like any award show or performances, mm-hmm. which don't have anything at all to do with the Grammys, because right. there'll be performances from people that aren't nominated. Or mm-hmm. people that will be nominated next year, like Tribe and Bruno Mars. Right, or, or mashups that would never happen outside of the like, Grammys. Like Imagine Dragons and Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. There's times when the Grammys had too many awards. There's like a hundred, hundred, almost a hundred. Mm-hmm. There's time. There's also just awards that are brand new, awards that are super old. So like the history is super convoluted because it's always changing. You really don't know what awards have any weight, and when there was too many, they meant even less. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of issues with how the Grammys function. They also just never seem to really get it right. I think they've been decent. I wouldn't say they're always terrible, but yeah, generally there's always like bones to pick. Like I, I, I could talk all day about rap, like YG didn't get mm-hmm. a best rap album either for either of his albums. This year it's Adele versus Beyonce. That's the main storyline. Best new artist though is always an award that's really controversial just because like the timing of best new artist is yeah the Grammys are the last people to actually honor you as a good new artist like what the hell's the point yeah Chance the Rapper best new artist yeah Chainsmokers like <laughs> right I, I sent a tweet about this at Marsweiger but the debut album is fucking dead AF dude Chance and Chainsmokers neither of them have a debut album and now they're all Grammy nominated Chance is a Grammy winner the whole concept of a debut album is meaningless now debut project mixtape Little Yachty and Uzi, they had their debut mixtapes. Those were their debut albums. Mm. Whatever their album actually is doesn't matter. And for Chainsmokers, like, they had Closer. They have the, the biggest song of the year, their album that's coming in, mm-hmm. I think, in the spring. Who cares? Who cares? doesn't matter. They already had their moment, and the Grammys even noticed that. Mm-hmm. So I guess that's a good thing. But Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's absolutely dead. But I think to come back to the point I was trying to make in terms of that, that they don't really get it right. I mean, right. You said, like you said, Beyonce and Adele are the top there. Right. And I think actually this year, in terms of the performances that they chose to show, they did a much better job. The, the Tribe Called Quest performance was, yeah. I think, a real moment That's in like terms of culture and in bus terms stuff, of... Yeah. yeah, Buster and kind of calling out President Trump. It was ballsy, but it was also important for yeah. giving some relevance to what they were trying to do. Um, like J-Lo started off and she was talking about... I don't even know what she was saying. She basically made it sound like we were in World War or three already um, that's not, not not needed yeah you, you need you need to strike the right tone with a lot of this stuff by the way side note i was looking up who has won the best new artist esperanza uh, spaulding beat drake and bieber in like 2011 everyone remembers her and her jazz yeah and then fun macklemore sam smith and megan trainer after that but uh, looking back amy winehouse beat taylor swift wait what yeah back in 2008 amy winehouse won best new artist beating taylor swift when did she die? 20, oh, 2010? I believe so. Yeah, I can look Jeez. that up. She wasn't new then. <laughs> no, she had been around for pretty much ever. Uh, bon- Bonnie Vare yeah, was Bonnie nominated many years too late. Yeah, I know. He won, I think it was... Oh, yeah, he won, right? He won 2012. And, and he, I think he had an 08 record. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it misses the moment of some of these things. But when you look back and you think about the awards, like the Best Album Award, for example. Uh, album of the Year. Yeah, I mean, you look back, and some of the records that I think are most long-lasting 
like you think about Kendrick Lamar's Pimp Butterfly or Beyonce when she put out her album before Lemonade Beyonce, which was a well liked record. Lost to Beck. Yeah, they lose to Beck or they lose to Taylor Swift. Kanye almost had his lose Kanye, second Kanye moment then. Yep, <laughs> when he ran up the stage. Daft Punk beat Good Kid Mad City. Mumford and Sons beat Channel Orange. I mean, yeah, all these records that really mean a lot to culture in in terms of art moving forward lose out to these ones that are pretty forgettable in the long run. Notice how usually it's the black culture losing. Mm -hmm. And and the thing is, it's not even Adele's best record. I mean, this is a good. This is okay. Like, there's maybe what two or three songs that jump out, like jump off. There's only two songs that had any Billboard traction in the United States. Just want to throw that out there. Hello, obviously. Send my love to your ex, your ex lover. The one with the parentheses in the title, or that's called. Yeah, it's it's probably whatever. treat her better or whatever. Yeah, whatever. So yeah, I mean, you think about Beyonce and Lemonade. That was like a cultural moment. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, this isn't as bad as Macklemore, the heist beating Kendrick's Good Kid, Matt. No, that that was ridiculous. Like that was <laughs> like the heist. It's a fine record, but that was that was ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And Macklemore knew it too, and unfortunately, he clowned himself when he sent when he sent a screenshot of the text he sent to Kendrick. He shouldn't have made that public. Mm-hmm. That was his own fault. 1989, Taylor Swift beats. Kendrick to Pimp a Butterfly, it fucking happened again. You mean, mm-hmm. oh, Taylor's Taylor's record of all of her singles that are all retraining the same love theme she's yep. beating into the ground. Yeah, that beats the most culturally important black representative album in, since, what, D'Angelo in, like, 1999? Yeah, like, Also absurd. So Adele versus Beyonce, it's not as bad. I think giving it to Adele, it's not, like, insulting. Right. But it, it also stands the point, like, and Adele had a very good speech in response where her record didn't have any culture, the cultural impact of Beyonce. Lemonade. It's just a great record. And it's funny, like, like, it's funny seeing, like, Beyonce's haters online. Like, I'm not a huge, I don't, mm-hmm. you know, stump for Beyonce, but they're all like, yeah, well, you know, it's a matter of taste. And I'm like, Adele is objectively better at singing, and that is precisely it. Sure. Like, if, we're, if you want to go down that road. <laughs> but even like, the, comparing the records, there is no comparing, because, the, like you said, the Adele record isn't much of a record. Yeah, and if you think about kind of Adele's speech, she basically said, Beyonce inspires my black friends, which she recognized she can't really do. And I think looking at kind of where we're at culturally, that's kind of what's more important right now is how do we reach out to the people that mm-hmm. have been minimized and how do we help them become inspired and help right. them create a movement for themselves. Right. And that's that, that that's huge, that what, what Beyonce is able to do. I don't want to harp on this too right. much, so I actually wanted to ask you, what did you think about Adele's mulligan? I don't care. That's part of... I think she planned it. You know, maybe. Adele is like music's Jennifer Lawrence. She's mm. a, She's appealing... She's really talented, and she's appealing because she does, like, that, you know, normal girl mm-hmm. shtick. Like, oh, I'm awkward. Let me laugh about myself. Right. Like, geez, it's the same thing. And there, there was there. Full stop right there. I'm so mad I didn't think about that. <laughs> that that's, like, a perfect analogy. I, I thought that was kind of... I mean, I respect her doing it yeah. and, and trying to pay homage to George Michael. Uh, it just came across to me, like, all right. Wham. Just get off the stage at right. that point. Just well, t- take the L. Also of note, check out Frank Ocean's Tumblr post regarding the Grammys. Where he yeah, back he went in on that. And Slange and actually tweeted the link once Beyonce lost, so mm-hmm. take that what you will. Slange got the win <clears throat> for uh, Cranes in the Sky. Yeah, that was cool. Good win. I was very sad that Rihanna lost Best R&B Song. Is it better to who who the fuck she lost? I don't even recognize who she lost to. She didn't lose to Bryson Tiller. She didn't lose to Drake. She lost to somebody else. Lake by the Ocean. Maxwell, how David? 
Yeah. Okay. Right. But anyways, uh, <laughs> Rihanna, I think, actually won the night. Because watching her in her seat was one of the most fun moments. There's a shot of her sipping from her flash. Sipping from her flash. She was FaceTiming somebody. <laughs> there, there was the moment when she went up against Beyonce. Shot of Rihanna. What, best? Our best urban contemporary album. Yes. Anderson and, Pack and, also lost to her. And she knew that she was going to lose. Right. So, like, everybody else is, like, waiting. And she's just, like, joking around with her friends while right. they're announcing. She didn't give a fuck, man. Right. Rihanna's the best. <laughs> also, um, Katy Perry. Had her a new single, which we were kind of predicting for a while. I thought it would come last summer, but she released it and then she performed it. As Wilson from Home Improvement for half of it, which was <laughs> a bold statement. Featuring I, Skip Marley, another long-lost member of the Bob Marley clan. <laughs> Actually, really funny. Uh, I think it's his grandson. One of my friends texted me, who is that with Katy Perry in the song? I said, oh, it's B.O.B. And they were like, really? And I was like, no, but you wouldn't know. You would you would believe that because B.O.B. is basically as, as important as that person is at this point. Yeah, that's funny. Beyonce's performance. What did you think? I mean, it was really choreographed. That was fine. I, I thought it was... Uh, I didn't love... I, I didn't think any performances were super bad. Shout out Jonah Hill. And I also didn't think any of them were, like, super great, except for, like, Tribe. Like, Bruno Mars, that's what I like. Totally confident, you know. That was great. You know, do, doing what you do. I thought Tribe was good. I thought Sturgill Simpson was good. Gary Clark Jr., I mean, I could just watch him shred. Right. I thought Katy Perry was pretty bad. Metallica had the thing. Yeah, that was weird. People either love that. I didn't really like it that much, but, I mean... Seeing Metallica with flames is always kind of cool, so I don't know. And oh, that always just leads me to our rock conversation we've still yet to have about, right. oh, we have Metallica performing. That really gets me hyped <laughs> for fucking metal, man. 21 Pilots want to put their pants down? 21. Yeah. Shout out 21, though. That's a good like, good for them getting a win. Yeah, it's crazy to think that I saw them when they were like pretty much brand new. So yep. And they were probably weren't even brand new, to, coming back to our discussion about debut records oh yeah they, they probably had one that was already two years old by that point yeah, so they, sure they, they weren't nominated for best new artist which is actually kind of surprising to me well i think they would that would have been on vessels so they probably would have so they actually would honor vessels see like i don't i don't know how their rules work sometimes i i think they would vessel vessel was an album so it makes sense yeah Oh, yeah, that's actually a good question. And Anderson Pack had Venice, so that would make sense why he didn't get one again shout out chance three grammys he's that's the thing chance winning and then Beyonce losing is very conflicting because picking Chance and his influence over the lowest common denominator music that Chainsmokers mm. make, it's like you made the, the good, important, well-thought-out choice there, and then right. you just played safe with Adele. So whatever. It's yeah. still the Grammys. Yeah, still, yeah. I mean, in the end, who really cares? Drake, Kanye, Bieber, none of them showed. That says a lot. I was hoping Kanye would get a win. Just There's I, actually rumors that, that he was talking about performing. James Corden teased it at one point. Yeah. And then... I, that was probably the most mad I got all night. Also, I thought James Corden did an okay job hosting. He pretty much got all the all right, When he did the karaoke thing in the crowd, stop fucking copying Ellen's selfie moment. <laughs> she did that better than anyone else will do. He's not the only one to try and copy it, but you're, you're not going to do it. You're not going to get viral that way. Just give it up. Your car karaoke's great. Do it for your show. Agreed. Also, if, if he had actually gotten stuck on the way up, that would have been a way more viral <laughs> moment than anything he could have done. Well said. So, Young Pope! We haven't really talked much about it. It kind of snuck up on us. The fact that it was airing twice a week for five weeks and then ending mm-hmm. snuck up on me personally. So we talked about the premiere. And then, and then here we are. Weeks later, it's we're over. Talking about the finale. So we're actually not going to spoil it. We're going to talk a little more broadly about. Yeah. It's uh, only been five the weeks. So. Yeah, I mean, if you're not caught up, I don't really blame you because I mean, up until recently, I mean, I'm still, I still have to watch the finale, so I couldn't even talk about it. Dave is caught up because he's up. a G. I mean, I guess the first thing that stands out to me about this season is it's like just a really beautiful show. Yeah. <laughs> we, we say that about I feel like every we, TV show. We do, but Paolo Sorrentino is a 
film director. Yeah. And he brought his filmmaking to this show, and it shows. Mm-hmm. And it's really unique. And I like the shots he does when, you know, Jude Law's in the back of the frame versus in the front. The big things in St. Peter's Square, mm-hmm. uh, wherever they are. When, when he does, like, walk and talk scenes, yeah. it looks great. I'm probably going to talk about this moment a lot because it's the one that probably stood out to me most to the point where I've been able to watch uh, this season. But when he goes his trip to Africa, I felt like there's a lot of really great shots in there. Right. Specifically during his big speech, they show him like kneeling down in kind of like like a desert setting, and with like just the sun breaking through the cra- the clouds, kind of shining on him, and it's very just kind of like moving and pretty awesome. Also on the plane when they're going through turbulence, and he's just kneeling there, and everybody else is freaking out, but he's just like so steady. It's like yeah. huh, this. Yeah. It's really interesting to see how they sh- how they portray him and and then the scene the scenes where he's him like connecting with God on his knees mm-hmm. with his hands out. Shit's intense. It, yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, I guess, what else stood out to you about this Well, season? I think you have to start with Jude Law. He's uh, just a, a we have, We've known he's been a great actor a while. Yeah. yeah he's in everything. Uh, but he destroys this or role. Or is he in nothing? <laughs> dude, I know, I, I like to say, like, watching actors cook, but dude, he <laughs> fucking cooks every episode. And it's, it almost, That's the way the character's written, and he just brings it off the page so fucking well. It's awesome. It's almost like he actually cooks, too. It's like he's popcorn in some scenes. Like, you'll see him behind, like, beneath this huge hat, and he'll just kind of be sitting there stewing, and, 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 like, and then it just, like, pff, explodes and, out. And as, you know, Pope Pius Thirteenth would tell you, the way he's just looking at other characters with his beautiful blue eyes, <laughs> like, he's just looking, and, like, his, eye, his, his face is just so, so stern or so pensive, mm-hmm. and then he just fires back with this bravado. Because he's so fucking charismatic. Yeah. And, like, I know he's really handsome, but we have to get, you know, let's move beyond that. Mm-hmm. Whether whether it's him being a total asshole or being, like, a, you know, a pensulant child, it's great. And he does a lot with the role. I think I was probably a little bit skeptical uh, of Jude Law. I mean, I thought it was, a, I thought it was an interesting casting. And, like I said, I felt like Jude Law was somebody that didn't get enough shot in Hollywood. And this, or this series backs up that point. Mm-hmm. Because the way he's able to take this character, which seems to fit pretty much his personality perfectly, yeah. so that, that's probably a big reason why he jumps off the the screen. Uh, but the way he's able to take it and just kind of make it larger than life, almost in a way. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's already a pretty large it is. role that's written, but he really owns it, and he steals almost every scene he's in. Yeah. I mean, Diane yeah. Keaton is probably the second, and well, actually not. I don't know. Boyello. Yeah, Boyello is is amazing. But all the scenes with Diane Keaton, I feel like... Yeah, he... like her, her role, like as Sister Mary, it's pretty reserved role. Yeah. But I, I, Diane Keaton, obviously, you know, he's an actress, been gracious for a long time. Yeah. She does good work. I think there was a really funny moment early on, right after Voyello and the other Cardinals learned that Pope Pius is not the Pope they expected. Mm-hmm. And Sister Mary's like, oh, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. And then there's a cutaway, and she's like, I'm very worried. And, like, it was one of the funniest things, because it was a hard cut, and Sorrentino hadn't done it. I don't think he did that in the rest of the show, Mm -hmm. but, like, it was a great moment. But as you learn more about Sister Mary and her relationship with the Pope, the character Mm -hmm. gets stronger. You know, I I actually, as you were talking about that, I don't know why it reminded me of this, but I wanted to call back one shot specifically. When Pope Pius is talking to Voyello, and he's walking on a ledge above him. Oh, yeah. And, and, and they, they shoot it from below, from Voyello's perspective, mm-hmm. and it just looks like Pope Pius is a giant at that yeah. point. And I was like, that's a really cool camera trick right there. Even yeah. though it's probably like pretty basic filmmaking, just perspective, it yeah. really adds it, to the scene. God, they thought of it, though. I think the arc that Jude Law goes on, as Lenny is the Pope, mm-hmm. but the arc, especially towards the back half of the show, which is ten episodes, it's really interesting. I like really, really despised him in the middle of the show 
and mm-hmm. I just want to say things do change. And yeah. I think the show ends really, really strongly. In the middle of the season, there's that about 15 minutes worth of exchange with the Italian prime minister, where he's at his most loathsome. And there's other moments, like when he's talking with Gutierrez later in the season, where he's actually really kind. It's really interesting, because I saw the finale recently, obviously, because it came out Monday, and I didn't expect to feel the way I felt. Because, like, first of all, I'm not, like, a really religious guy, but also, like, I don't know, just, the fuck? Like, this Pope is a terrible dude, seemingly. He's also a saint. It's really weird. Well, I mean, I'm only through episode eight, and they've alluded to him having the ability to perform miracles, which is, I mean, part of sainthood in general, but an interesting kind of, like, superpower that they're giving him, in a way. I agree with you. I think the arc of the character is really interesting, Mm -hmm. because in the middle... I found myself thinking, I don't like rooting for this guy. No. I can't root for this guy. And it, <laughs> the Trump parallels are very obvious from that oh, yeah. clouded speech in episode one or two. Yeah, I think it's in episode two. When he addresses two. the square episode anonymously. Two for sure. It does start to soften him. And I think kind of just the overall arc of this person trying to humanize himself while mm-hmm. also trying to lead the church in a direction where he feels like he can restore faith, but faith not... In... By being a total orthodox, conservative, exactly. not 2017 it's, person. It's so... like. I don't know, like, anti-parallel? And his exchanges with Spencer uh, later in the season when they're Mm -hmm. just in that hall and Spencer's, they're talking about abortion. And I was like, wow, that's actually a really poignant scene from both sides. So I like that a lot. Also, shout out the fucking title card to the instrumental of All on the Watchtower. Oh, yeah. So good. And it's when he's like, walking by the paintings and they move and was, he looks at the camera, fucking perfect. I'm really glad you brought that up because I, I think they, they changed the song one time. So I was like, they oh, did. They're, they're, yes. they're going to change the song up every week to give it like certain tone. No. All along the watchtower with the wink at the end, yeah. I was like, this, this show's just fucking awesome. Also, sidebar, shout out All on the Watchtower, another song that someone else did better than Bob Dylan. Because he wrote <laughs> Great the song, point. obviously. Also, and then there's that, that musical cue that comes up every almost every episode by a level, like that, that, so that techno perfect. beat that so shows perfect. up, and like sometimes they build to it for multiple minutes as Drew mm-hmm. Law's talking. about it being one of the best musical cues in in many many years and i have to agree it's, it's a it's perfect, perfect musical cue even that speech i mentioned they did an acoustic version of halo in the yes. background of it yeah it not, not the beyonce perfect. version yeah it was perfect and i think just they said the, that they said that the beyonce version would have been too jarring that's oh, why they did the acoustic absolutely you needed something softer for that yeah. moment but like i said there's that moment he's like kneeling down in the sunlight is like almost like just breaking through the clouds onto him, that almost felt like what the song was. And they, they yeah. do so many little things with the, with the details of this show um, that really bring the points that they're trying to make, and they really just drive them at home. It's a really well-done show, and I, I hope that they're doing season two. Like, they really are. Well, we, just, we don't know anything about it. it. Assumingly, it'll come out next year. I mean, this aired in Italy in November mm-hmm. of last year, so in theory they could get to it, but I would assume Jude Law has a, a schedule, so... Well, Probably 2018. The, the good news is now that this is over, there's a lot more TV on. I mean, last week tonight came back. Yep, John Oliver. What else is going to be coming on? Uh, Girls came back. Yeah, Girls, which sixth and final season. I, I was uh, Riz Ahmed apparently plays a big role. I'm, yeah. I'm out on the show at this point, but think about our guy. Think about the people that have gone through as just like bit roles or like a main role. 
Adam Driver, Goat, Donald Glover, Goat, Riz Ahmed. Goat. I mean, they've really been able to find some really. So I was gonna talent. ask you. I've I've been like mildly interested in girls, and my fandom for Adam Driver is also driving me to mm-hmm. driving me to the show. <laughs> How many seasons do you think are worth watching? I know the first one's eight uh, episodes, the rest are ten. I think it's hard. It's hard for me to say. Because like, should I, I watch two and be done? Because yeah, I've struggled yeah. with this with like shows like Dexter, shows I know fall off. So I'm mm-hmm. like, do I bother watching any of it? It's hard to say because I don't know how good the last season was. It, it's the kind of show where. Well, if you, if you stop, like, when do you think you should have stopped? Did you stop two seasons too late? I you think I think if you can make it through three seasons and three, it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Although apparently there was an episode last season. I think we talked about. It on yeah. The pod. Really, really good. So just kind of keep your, your ear to the ground on that. You don't need to necessarily follow the characters all the time to understand mm-hmm. what's going on either. It's only interplay between them, but. Yeah. What else is going to be coming on? Billions is back? Yeah, Billions is back Sunday on Showtime. That's with Damian Lewis and Paul Giamatti. Mm-hmm. Big Little Lies is also coming back Sunday, taking the Young Pope's slot on HBO. This is... It's a cast. Yeah, it's like a rom... It's like part rom-com, part drama, I think, with Reese Witherspoon, Nicole Kidman, Shalene Woodley, Laura Dern, Zoe Kravitz, Alexander Sarsgaard, and Adam Scott. Got that HBO money, man. Yeah, man. I mean, they just... Also, I believe it's also a limited series, so short commitment. So mm-hmm. I think I'll, I'll definitely check that out. Yeah. Broadchurch coming back on the 27th. Walking Dead also returned for its mid-season. And then March 7th, Americans, season six. So <sighs> spring TV. I got to catch up on the Americans. Right I'm like so close to catching up. Also, Taboo. By the time you listen to this, episode six will be out and there's two more. Do you want to give any quick Taboo takes? I, so I am, I am caught up. It's very slow, unfortunately. It's definitely better to binge. The pacing issues are more problematic than I think I w- they should be, and that's because we don't really know what we're working to. I'm not mm-hmm. really sure what the payoff will be still, and that's unfortunately a problem. Because the show has a very unique aesthetic. I like a lot of things about the show, and the plot is at the very bottom of the list, unfortunately. I'm going to definitely finish this season just to see what happens, but I don't know. It hasn't been renewed yet. We'll see. Uh, I'm guessing that it probably won't be renewed. And plus, I, I don't think... Tom Hardy wants to be making TV all the time. Uh, he seems like the kind of dude that kind of just picks and chooses different projects. I mean, he, he shot a shot, best. you know? Yeah, I mean, you can't blame him for that. It's fucking weird. Uh, That's what happens. Chance at the, at the Grammys was shooting your shot. Going yeah. from... Uh, shout out DJ Drama. Did yeah. that shit first. <laughs> well, also, shout out to SoundCloud for holding us down. Yes. SoundCloud.com slash For 20,000 plays. Thank you for listening. Uh, 20,000 more. Legion. Yes. New show. Brought to you by Noah Hawley. FX. And Andy Greenwald. The best channel, of course. Yeah, FX killing it. So, yeah. On Wednesdays now. Eight episodes. Spinoff from the X-Men movies. I guess not necessarily a spinoff, but it's part of that world. Lead character David Haller is Legion from the X-Men comics, which is mm-hmm. a guy created in 1985, Professor Xavier's son. Hmm, okay. Similar in power to a sense that he has like the you know telekinetic abilities, he can you know make things float, but he also has all those really crazy mental powers where he can go inside people's minds, and in his instance, he can take a part of other people's psyches and keep them inside his own head. So that's the inspiration. But the reason this is so intriguing is that Noah Hawley is basically taking that inspiration, and then the show is surrounded by other original characters, and he's not beholden to an X Men comic even or let alone a huge film universe so he's free to do what he wants like any mm-hmm. successful auteur right. should be and i think from the pilot the results are really promising because i think this pilot is fucking really strong it's, i mean it was a really intriguing very interesting and so we should probably mention Hollers played by dan Stevens from um, downton abbey 
Yeah, and, and high maintenance, which I forgot about. Aubrey Plaza's in it, which is pretty yes. cool. She plays somebody named Lenny. It's a friend his, named a... His boy at the mental hospital. Or Yeah, friend. I don't know yeah. if she's boy or girl. Kyle. <laughs> was a girl, but yeah. homie. Who he kills, right? He does, yeah. And then... She's uh, in a wall, dead. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, spoilers from here on out, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's hard to talk about just one episode without giving away some spoilers. Yeah. And then Sydney seems to be the other main character. Right. I was a little confused at points during the That's the idea. Pilot. Yeah, I mean... You're just as confused as the main character is. Which is actually a really interesting part, which and I think it gives the show a lot of promise because it can go in a lot of different directions. Yeah. Um, I think, obviously, like, you see a shootout at the end, which I think that was my only problem with it was some of the people in the shootout were just making some of the dumbest tactical decisions I've ever seen, just, like, that, running that, over a hill. That's anything. Yeah, of Literally course. Literally everything. Of course. Which, <laughs> I don't think I'm saying, it's a very small gripe. <laughs> There's the action part of it. Then there's also the opportunity to do some Fight Club S type. Mr. Robot. Yeah, some psychological type stuff. Mm-hmm. And then there's also just the superhero part, which is, I think, really intriguing and probably right. why a lot of people tune in anyway. Right, because so there will be more mutants at some point. But yeah, it's so interesting because David he struggles with himself, and we see that because we struggle mm-hmm. to understand what's going on. It also was why it's a non-linear story, at least the first episode anyway. Right. That he's convinced that he has schizophrenia, and that's why he's in a mental hospital, when really he just doesn't, or assumingly, he just doesn't have a full grasp of his powers. Right. That's why he hears voices, because, you know, that's part of what he can do. But really interesting about this show is the, the, the pilot was the change in camera framing. Wide shots zoomed way in, and yeah. as you're going through... David's psyche, whether it's a flashback or, you know, a dream sequence or whatever the fuck's going on, <laughs> it changes. The camera changes with that. Yep. And uh, Santa Gonzalez, one of the cinematographers for Legion, who also worked on both seasons of Fargo with Noah Hawley, no, says they're inspired by Stanley Kubrick, specifically Clockwork Orange, mm. for the way they're shooting it. Gotcha. Which I think is really cool. Yeah, I thought one of the, the things that they balanced out really well in this episode was it was still like a really interestingly shot show like yeah. like you said there was some interesting framing and some zoom in zoom out choices it didn't remind me of a show like the young pope or like an hbo show it was an fx show mm-hmm. and it was a show that also felt like a superhero show still which i think is is a interesting line to walk because you can either go like daredevil jessica jones where it's very gritty sure. and kind of dark or you can go like complete opposite way and like make the, it... uh, the Arrowverse on CW. Right, and I think that they actually walked a pretty good line between, um, which is yeah. probably a really hard tone. And, and again, just from the pilot, it's tough to know exactly right. where they're going. Well, and that's the other thing is you really only see three people that might be reoccurring characters moving right. forward. Right, all the people that show up at the end are apparently are the main cast. So and I assume almost certain Aubrey Plaza will return. Yeah, I don't think Aubrey Vision, Plaza for one episode. Vision. It's funny because I think she'll be like the audience guide, mm-hmm. probably like, the, like almost fourth wall breaking questions she mm-hmm. poses. You know, kind of be like the surrogate for us. It's an interesting way to do it too, because it's really just his mind, right? In a way. Apparently, that character was initially written to be like a sixty-year-old man, and then they cast Plaza, and she said, "Don't change the script." That's awesome. Aubrey Plaza is really cool. She is really cool. She's very weird. She hasn't. Cool. She hasn't really set the world on fire though. Post Parks and Rep. Yeah, she was. Like she was in, in Mike and Dave, Mike and Dave New Wedding Days, yeah. which was you know whatever. What else has she been in? She was in a Father John Misty video. Cool. It was actually a pretty <laughs> cool video. She got to be really crazy in that. So yeah, so we'll, we'll probably be recapping Legion as the episodes mm-hmm. deem necessary. We'll be checking in more regularly than we Start did with watching. Young Pope. But overall, I mean, really excited for this show. Yeah, if you like Westworld. Watch Legion. 
Because this is how you do mystery. Yeah. And exactly. if you like Westworld and you thought Ford was a good villain, watch The Young Pope. That's how you do villains. <laughs> we, we should probably wrap up there before I get too, too deep into a West, Westworld hatred. Tweet at us, please. At Martin Swagger, SGN World Peace. We usually tweet about The Bachelor on Mondays. We'll tweet about other things as they come Shit up. Shit happens. I tweet about it. Follow Nostalgia Pod. SoundCloud.com slash Nostalgia Pod. Get it on TuneIn, Google Play, iTunes, Stitcher, OK Player, Podbean. Uh, there's a bunch of other ones. Blueberry. <laughs> get it wherever you get your podcast. It's fucking there. Uh, but yeah, actually, iTunes review would be really clutch. And yeah. if you want to hear your review on the air, leave a funny one. Or share it with a friend. You know, just say, hey, these guys are a nice listen. And I learned something. Yeah, exactly. If you want to stay current on something in pop culture, we'll keep you up to date with something at least. Yeah. Shout out Ryan Chin. It's our promise. Yeah, Ryan Chin, the man. <laughs> I'll shout him out every episode. We'll be talking about some stuff next week, so come back and listen to us. Watch your Oscar movie. It's coming up. All right, we out. <laughs>